I am on a lifeboat alone with a tiger. Please send help. Hey, podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. All right. Happy Thursday morning. Thank you for joining us. I got the boss man here. We got an old school episode on tap. What does that mean? By popular request from you, the listeners. Yes. Basically, we're going to talk about what we do every day, specifically at Dynamite Jobs today, which is since 2017 has been a popular remote job board, but now is evolving into a software product or a SaaS product. And uh, it's a new experience for us. And we're going to share four key observations that we've had in today's episode. Your thoughts, boss man, before we get started. Help. Send help. That's <laughs> <laughs> part of the wonderful part about doing this. I'm, I'm very certain that we will get emails from the audience today that will help us. And it's always been a two-way street here at the pod. So I really enjoy doing these, these sorts of episodes. And I'm thankful that people still want to hear from us in this capacity. Yeah, Dan, we spent a lot of time on this show, if you go back to the old episodes, talking about just sitting in the thick of it. Like uh, me and you would call each other and be like, oh man, what is going on? I don't know. Yep. And you'd be like, I don't know either. And be like, okay, tomorrow let's just do some more of I don't know. And uh, that's basically where we're at right now. <laughs> Ian, can I give some context for what we're going to talk about today? It's worth touching on you know, all of our business units here at the podcast. Obviously, something we're going to continue doing through 2021. We got advertisers well into the next year. That's been really cool. You know, one of the overall lessons meta lessons, Ian, that I've learned time and time again in 2021 is that as the founder of a business, you have to find ways to stay interested and stay engaged. And that's by design, something you can design into your business. And that was really one of the big takeaways of our book, Before the Exit, available on all reputable booksellers, currently at a 4.9 review on Amazon, which I think means that like only fans of the podcast are buying and reviewing, so we appreciate it, guys. One of the lessons of that book, Ian, was really like, we kind of got bored with our old business. And I think one of the lessons for us this year is like we refuse to do that. Because like we said, there's no finish lines. Like yeah. This is a lifestyle business. I think it's on us to find ways to stay engaged and interested in our projects and our businesses. I think that's right. It's sometimes an impossible task too, right? But one of the heuristics that we came up with uh, several years ago was like the onstage test. And the question is, is this something I want to be talking about or doing in a professional capacity five to 10 years from now? Can I do it on stage? Can I discuss it on stage as if I was presenting my ideas and my business to somebody? I think that test still holds up, Dan, in terms of, you know, if you're going to start a project, is it something that you want to be on stage talking about five or 10 years from now? A related conversation we've been having lately is one about legacy. You know, what kind of legacy do you want to have? And I kind of been digging into that. Like, what does that mean? What do you want people to say about you? That doesn't really resonate with me so, so much. And then I kind of thought, well, maybe it's more important, like, what you say about yourself. One of the things that's remarkable about living in America is probably for Americans, like the first question you ask someone is like, you know, what's your name? And then the second question is like, well, what do you do? And it, in my mind, like your legacy is what you say right then. It's partially the story that you have to tell yourself and others repeatedly on a day-to-day basis. And if that legacy is like, I'm, I'm kind of bored with this thing that I have or whatever, you know, that can weigh on you. And I, I think having that story for yourself every day about what problems you're solving, why you're interested in them, and what unique perspective you have on them is an important part of building a business. You could just tell that we're at different stages of our life. You know, for you, that's the question that comes up a lot because that's what, you know, happens on the golf course. For me, it's, can I have a lollipop? (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, Ian, before we get into uh, these four observations that we have about essentially a lot of the new work we've been doing over at Dynamite Jobs and the platform behind that company, I wanted to just give some overall context for the business. Of course, before the exit, still selling well on Amazon. In fact, I have been embezzling those funds <laughs> for my personal use and respending them on a DC merchandise. Uh, I've got a hat, a hoodie, and a golf shirt coming in the mail. So we did put up a DC merchandise website for DC members. Got to give a shout out to all the DC members. Of course, the big change there is we have no in-person events recently. Totally sucks. Totally sucks. But still, people continue to join. People stay. The business is going strong. We recently brought on a new community manager who is an experienced member. That's been amazing. We've been having social hangs on Discord. We've got merch now, conversations going in there, speculation about travel, how to run businesses in COVID, how people are adapting. Dynamite Circle continues to be a part of what we do on a day-to-day basis because there's not any big evolutionary shifts in what's happening in the membership itself. We're not going to talk about that today. But a lot of the things we're building over at DJ are built to benefit those customers. So something I just wanted to give a shout out to all DC members, but we're going to be focused on uh, Dynamite Jobs here today. So Ian, before we get into our observations, I thought I would uh, give you a little bit of a CEO challenge. Uh Uh-oh. This is unprompted, everybody. (laughs) This is unprompted. I want to say, what is the vision for Dynamite Jobs? Because a lot of listeners of the show know it's it's a job board. There's remote jobs on it. Great. You guys have a job board. But it's your job as a CEO to have, I think, a, a bigger vision about where it's going. And so I challenge you right now. I'll tell you this. Just for a little context, like this isn't our first job board. We started a, a little job board called Tropical Workforce. Do you remember what year that was? I'm not good at that. 2012. Okay, 2012, when we kind of saw this opportunity popping up, like basically what we were doing is we were hiring interns to work on our e-commerce physical product company. And we thought, well, there's an opportunity for more of these people to exist. And because we were having such good success with it, you know, basically um, mostly younger Americans wanted to live abroad. So we started Tropical Workforce. I don't really remember how hard we tried, but you know the demand wasn't there, scattered, whatever. It didn't work out. So that was I just mentioned that because that was kind of our first jump into the job board scene. And subsequently, through the DC, we have facilitated hundreds of placements over the years, informally, essentially. That's right. And that was part of the original vision of DJ, which is hey, let's make this process, which is happening in the podcast community informally, let's formalize it and see if it helps people better, essentially. And so far, we've done that. I mean, in terms of what we can keep track of, we've made 300 official placements, and that's full-time remote jobs. Yeah, That doesn't include freelance or connections or investments or friends or all these other connections. It's just stuff we can't keep track of. But in terms of like what we can sort of put a pin in, there's been 300 hires so far, which is pretty cool. So our initial vision for Dynamite Jobs was like, basically, DCers have these awesome companies, these great company cultures where they're remote, flexible, working on fun projects. Let's get people into those companies because DCers were coming to us saying like, hey, I need to find people. And it's really hard. I'm not going to go post on Indeed and find a bunch of people that used to be managers at Chick-fil-A, you know, applying to my job. So we're really trying to facilitate that relationship, the best remote jobs and the best people that were qualified to work for these jobs. And so since 2017, that's basically what we've been doing. And then I think our vision is really evolving, Dan, now that we've started to make these connections and understand more about both sides. This is kind of a two-sided market. The applicants, the employees, and then also the jobs, basically the companies. With that, I think, our vision is kind of changing. And so I'll just throw out what I think our vision is recently and what's probably going to stick with us for the next year at least. Basically, this idea that the next company, whatever industry you're in, the next company that the incumbent, whoever comes into that industry, I believe strongly in a couple of years from now, if not today, they'll have half the employees and double the amount of service providers, 
software subscriptions, etc. Meaning, I think that you can run and grow sustainable, profitable businesses with a lot less people than you used to be able to. And that is because of the distributor workforce. Yeah. And if I were to put my you know overly complicated philosophical twist on this, I feel like the fundamental note of productivity is moving away from the individual or employee and being replaced by specific value propositions. So essentially, you can duct tape together a business with hyper-focused units of productivity. This is a complicated way of saying like, you know, what you're saying, which is you, know, you have a smaller team at the core of your company, and they are people who are great at integrating. They're great at thinking on their feet, critical thinking. Again, this is why we were hiring smart young interns. We needed people who weren't just focused on the task at hand, but could manage a variety of different things going on in the business. And then those people are going out, pulling together SaaS products. They're buying productized services. So we don't need an in-house counsel. We buy you know, a service from a lawyer that does trademark. We buy a service from a lawyer that does contracts. We do buy a service from a lawyer that does TOS. As these units of productivity become more agile, more focused, there's no longer a need to do them inefficiently in-house. We can efficiently bring them in. You don't need a social media manager. You need a social media service. You don't need an SEO person. You need an SEO service or you need a freelancer who focuses on 301 redirects. And the moment you do a 301 redirect, the in-house person doesn't have to learn how to do that and take a couple of weeks doing it. No, the integrator, the, the key person on your team goes out and essentially invests in that unit of productivity into the team. This is becoming increasingly possible. Look, things like SaaS products, they're relatively new in the world. And productized services focused on internet operations and marketing, they're relatively new too. And so as these things pop up and we start to build businesses based on them, the question comes up You know, when you're hiring, is what you're looking for is a person or is it that thing that you need in your business? Right? The answer is, well, could be both. It's very interesting. A lot of times with these services and productized services, you can gain efficiency and you can also drive costs down. So in the past, you know, you might have had to hire somebody to do this work for you full time and had payroll taxes and all this stuff. Now it's a deduction. <laughs> now you just bought a service for your business. So, you know, in the early days of our careers, there was websites like bestjobs.ph, you know. And before there was somebody, you know, pooling together virtual assistants in the Philippines, this wasn't really a strong possibility for entrepreneurs at scale to have administrative work done in the Philippines for really good salaries there. And now, because that resource became legible, all of a sudden, it just became common in our industry. And then you got freelancer websites like Upwork. You got Fiverr, which is very much moving into like the business services space now where it's like, oh, well, Rather than hiring a consultant to like launch your podcast for you, maybe you just you know hire someone to do this specific element off of Fiverr for you, and that's purchasing like a unit of productivity into your business, essentially purchasing revenue into your business, which is something we've talked a lot about on this pod through Dynamite Deals, which is a project we work on last year. This is all saying that Ian, like hiring someone remote in a country that's strategic, whether that's Latin America because of a time zone or whether that's Eastern Europe because of the education or Philippines because of the English language and customer service skills. This is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of how we run our businesses. It's not the end game. Remote teams aren't end game. We're going to continue to evolve how we run our businesses. And so I would sum it up to say the vision of Dynamite Jobs is that we believe you ought to be able to run your business or make a living off of this platform if you understand this new reality of how business gets done in the 2020s. So what we're going to do today, Dan, is talk about four reflections that we've had, especially just like in the last six months, because a lot has changed. Like I said before, the first vision that we had was like pull together the best jobs and the best candidates to hire full-time remote. We're still sticking with that you know, our database, our pool of applicants is growing like wildfire. It's amazing to watch that happen. 
But I'll say this about that space. It's it's very hard to make those connections. You know, you say like 300, we've placed 300 people in, in companies in the last two years. That to me is like an unimpressive number in a lot of ways. You're like, oh, only 300, right? But the great deal of difficulty that it takes to do that is immense to get that relationship going because it's so high friction. It's not leveraged. There's a lot of moving parts. It's just really difficult to do that on both sides of the aisle. There's a lot of wasted energy. There totally is. Yeah, there's a lot of false starts. So I don't think that we're necessarily shying away from that. I think we're actually building a product that's going to help facilitate those relationships and make them easier. But I'll say this too in terms of vision, and this is something that's going to make it into our new product here very shortly. I truly believe that the best way to get a full-time job is to get a part-time job, meaning start working as a freelancer, start taking a bite out of a small project for a company that might have the ability to hire you on full-time. Yeah. And again, this is back to the vision, which is you're deconstructing full-time work. Look, full-time work isn't going anywhere. The idea is how do you make it more efficient? And that's the promise of remote work. Well, one of the ways you make it more efficient is you hire the right people in the right place that aren't constrained by geography. But now take it to the next level. Like, Maybe if you want to pay someone $100,000 a year to do X kind of technical work, well, maybe you would start your relationship not at the $100,000 mark, which often requires literally 200 people to get involved in that, right? If you have a a contest for a $100,000 prize, it is essentially a sweepstakes, right? You have to keep entering these sweepstakes until your ticket comes up, and then you get that job and you hang in it for however many years. There's ways that these things get done informally in communities, at events, through marketing, through Instagram, through websites that make these transactions go down faster. And that's why people join communities like the Dynamite Circle. And the idea and the challenge is, well, could we make this a little bit easier? I want to give some key stats here, Ian, before we get to the observations. But I think it's worth saying, like, you're talking about our product. Well, what is it? Okay, so something happened a couple months ago. We've brought it up on the show. He's been on the show. He is our main man, Simon, and he came on to help us with the development of this new platform. And so when we talk about the product, we talk about the platform. And basically, the the architecture of the platform is connecting companies and candidates. And the way that we're approaching that is through profiles. So every candidate has a profile now. And if you go to our site, there's an ability to sign up for your profile. And in about a week or two, a lot of those profiles are going to be public. Right now, they're just kind of sitting behind sitting behind a wall. And we can see them all, but not everybody else can. We send them to our clients right now, essentially. That's right. And all that's going to be flipped public pretty soon now. The biggest thing that's happened to us really, Dan, is from my perspective, is we've gone from doing like a ton of manual work to automating a bunch of these systems and processes. The big question mark about the product is, well, what will be the convention for connection? So right now, we know it's a sweepstakes model for full-time employment, right? You post this great offer with this big prize, and then 200 people send you their profile, right? And say, I, would, I want that prize. I'm willing to interview for it. I'm willing to do test work and assessments in order to get that prize. There's opportunities, too, for people to connect in different ways. Like we said, gigs is a common one. Hey, I've got something to do over the weekend. Can someone help me out? Another way you could do that is by offering services. Hey, I'm willing to do this for you for this amount of money. And so once we get this sort of profile situation going on, the question is, well, how are people actually going to connect? Say you're interested, for example, in getting SEO work done. Might you be able to follow profiles that are relevant to SEO or the particular kind of SEO that you do and engage in people via their offers, their gigs, or their jobs? That's sort of where things are heading. Now, we're definitely doing like the PowerPoint vision talk here because I feel like we're just in the clouds because that's not the reality of our day-to-day. Yeah. We are still servicing clients, servicing listeners to this show. Some key stats I think are worth bringing up. We mentioned we had a $16,000 a month just a few weeks ago. Our revenue through services at Dynamite Jobs has been a pretty consistent $10,000 a month on average. And so that's good. Not great. Certainly, we're still burning money on this project. But it's cool to have uh, consistent services coming through and clients to serve and to learn from. I'll do my little pitch here, which is 
we have our own little productized service. We're talking about like the deconstruction of the company. If you're hiring less than 20 or 30 people a year, you probably can't and you don't want to afford a traditional recruiter to be in your company. And we offer that service to people. So we will go out and find you the best person that is looking for a remote job to come work in your company, often saving you a ton of time. Another key stat I just want to bring up is as of right now, we have just over 1,000 candidate profiles on our system. This number has been and we expect it to be changing rapidly. One of the most exciting things I just got to share emotionally in our business for years is watching the product go up very recently as of a few weeks ago and just seeing like as we're on the phone right now, people signing up. And that's been a kind of a new experience for me as an entrepreneur to watch something happen so fast. Before we were collecting resumes and cover letters and emails, and we have far more of those in our database. And that's the way that we were collecting people basically is we're like manually moving these things around an air table. And then recently we flipped the switch on this new product, this new platform where it's a sign up and people are signing up like wildfire. And you know, Dan, like one of my concerns, like before we flipped that switch, I was like, oh gosh, how are we going to convert all these people, you know, all these resumes to like profiles? I was like, man, we're going to like have to go to outsource to the philippines.com or whatever it is, you know, and like (laughs) hire somebody to like manually fill these out. I was like fretting about this. And then Monday we like flipped it on on like Thursday or Friday. And then Monday I like, it was Friday night. Friday night, we flipped it on. I come to the meeting on Monday, and I was still cranky about it. Simon was like, dude, have you like looked at the air table? And I was like, no, why would I do that? You know. <laughs> and there was, like, there was a lot of people that had signed up. Like, I don't know, something like 30 or 40 people just in the first day without announcing it, you know, just off yeah. cold traffic. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then the next day, it was like 100. And I was like, oh. This is interesting. So we've literally had this flipped on for like a week and a half. It's exciting to watch that many people sign up so quickly. And so now we're trying to figure out like, okay, what is the actual action that we want these people to be doing? Because, you know, it's like fill out a profile. It's like, well, okay, so we designed this profile. It's like, well, what's the most important part of the profile? Because clearly everybody's not filling out everything in their profile. So we've kind of had to like go back and reimagine our product in a lot of ways too, Dan, because you make all these assumptions, right? You create this beautiful profile and then nobody treats it the way that you think they're going to treat it. Of course. Obviously, there's a lot going on. I want to get into these four reflections, Ian. Before we do that, I want to give a sales pitch to the audience because there's a lot going on here. We've got a thousand new profiles. We've got 10,000 plus resumes. We've got a job board, a lot of traffic. What do you have for me? And well, what we have for listeners of this podcast, if you want to profile on this system, if you want to message candidates directly, if you want to post unlimited jobs and unlimited gigs, provided you do own one of these cool remote companies we're talking about, you can have access to all that for $100 a month. That is our first feeler out in like the product market fit game. You know, you'd be one of our first customers to this $100 a month product. Sign up for that. We'll definitely work with you and make see if that works out for the listenership of the audience. Everyone out there that is serious about productivity, and I know there's a lot of you, you're going to love this one. Today's episode is sponsored by Woven.com. Woven is an all-in-one calendar that helps you manage and blend both your work and personal lives, enabling you to spend time on what matters the most. Yeah, squeezing the most productivity out of your hours. With Woven, you can sync all of your calendars in one place, including Google Suite integration, as well as Microsoft integration. You can create and use scheduling links from directly within your calendar. So no need for third-party scheduling apps. You can rapidly time block your week using smart templates. And the best part is you can track your time and gain insights into your week with built-in analytics. Woven makes it easy to plan, join, and manage video events, helping you schedule with Zoom or Google Hangouts. With multiple time zone integrations, Woven is ideal for remote workers and productivity hackers. They also have apps across iOS, web, iPad, and Microsoft. In fact, I learned today that many podcasters actually use Woven for handling the guest booking and recording parts of their show. So in short, Woven is like a calendar for power users and those who are serious about their productivity allowing you both to schedule time with others and protect that productive maker time 
for yourself, all while giving you analytics about it all. Very cool stuff. Check them out over at woven.com. And a huge thanks to the folks at Woven for sponsoring the show. All right, so without further ado, let's get into the uh, four reflections we have. Having done this now for six months, I thought it would be interesting for us to reflect briefly uh, as our first reflection on the difference between a physical product business and a SaaS business. So, you know, a lot of us are currently thinking about evolving our business models. We're no different. We have experience in all different kinds of stuff, including product business, and now into SaaS, which look, SaaS wasn't always around. It's a new thing, relatively speaking. And it essentially means that you are selling software on a subscription basis. And it's typically delivered through a web interface. It typically has faster updates than old school software that you know you got on a CD-ROM or whatever. You can ship updates to your customers. There's typically community elements to it where there's a dynamic element. When you log into the database, you see new candidates, you see people coming through. This is a SaaS, obviously different from a physical product business where you're coming up with cat furniture as an example. I'm curious as to how it's felt different for you. What do you think strategically are the differences? How do you behave differently now that you're thinking about software instead of valet podiums or, or cat furniture? Well, the first thing is that's a weird question, right? It's like, I think it's very us related, but it doesn't necessarily need to be. So like, who's the person that's sitting down thinking like, should I start a physical product business or a SaaS company? I think a lot of hands just went up in the audience. Here. Really? Yeah, because okay. we believe we can do all different kinds of things. And the reality is we can't, you know, and this stuff is just a choice. True. I think that's true. I guess the reason this question makes a lot of sense for me, though, I guess, is because I have a little bit of experience in both. And so when we're sitting down designing this product, this platform, it feels a lot like designing products, like physical products. It does. There's a stage where you're designing and developing in the dark. Hopefully, you're talking to your customers, but a lot of times that you're not. Maybe you got like a tidbit of information, now you're kind of running with it. And then you have to go to the woodshed or you have to go to your factory and you have to put down some money to design or develop something. There's this area of like feature creep, you know, where you can be like working in the wrong direction and all this bad things can happen. Hopefully, we're trying to avoid some of that. But in terms of the product development, it feels very similar, like in terms of tinkering. That being said, like the interesting thing for me is like at some point with your physical product, that tinkering stops and you like have to ship the product out to people. And I think that's where a lot of people can get stuck in the SaaS product, which is they can basically tinker forever and like do these like limited releases and things like that because you, you can do that with software. With physical products, you can't really do that. Right. It's either someone's buying it or they're not. And it's sitting in your warehouse or it's not. Exactly. And so shipping is one thing that I think is very cool with physical products because there has to be an end date and like you have to get it out there. SaaS, like not so much. But then the other thing that I think is like very cool about software products opposed to physical products is like, you know, in the lifespan of a physical product for us, Dan, we could have done like five or 10 versions. You know, like every year we update something and it's like you get a phone call from like a couple customers and it's like write it down on the list, right? And like six months later, you get the same call. It's like write it down on the list. And then at the end of the year, you get to update the product and you're like, well, let's look at that list again. Whereas with software, it can kind of be like a continuous evolution of the product because to deploy these updates, a lot of times are much easier. And a lot of times to deploy the updates means that you can charge people more too. So you have like this built-in like feedback loop with the product because you're ultimately talking to your customer a lot more too because that communication a lot of times is built into the platform. You know, you're talking with your customer, you're serving them updates and then you're able to like charge them more for these updates. So, you know, you're constantly working on the product whereas with like the physical product you're putting it out into the universe and then you're working on it every once in a while. It feels to me at least in this early stage that you know, some of those benefits are there. But then also, one of the, like, I'd say hidden costs is that you always have to be working on your product. On that front, you could say something in a team meeting that's like, this product needs X feature. And the costs of that feature could be very difficult to articulate in that moment in terms of time and investment. Oh, yeah. Whereas, 
with the physical products business, it was very clear like what our unit cost was going to be. Whereas with the SaaS, it's like you could say, oh, well, I really think we need to have this for these clients, these group of clients over here. And like, boom, you just spent like three months of development resource on that. That is a big, big challenge. And I think why podcasters like Rob Walling, for example, talks about you know needing to have the experience. So a lot of the reason we went into physical products business at the beginning was because it was what we knew. And, and what you know is important to this whole thing. Occasionally, I'll bring it up on the show. I put out a little SaaS tool way back in the day before we even started a business. And it cost a lot of money. <laughs> All the money went down the drain because a few sentences can cost you tens of thousands of dollars. So that's one thing. Another thing I think is really worth bringing up, Ian, is today we jumped on a team call and our product was broken. Okay. So one of the team members got off the call and went and an emergency fixed it. So the team call was a little bit shaken up. We, you know, we had to fix a problem. And remember, if that was the product business, one of us would be on an airplane, going to a warehouse somewhere, having to send stuff back to the factory. And so from a lifestyle perspective, you can understand that like, okay, it sucked that our product broke, but it was pretty cool that we could fix it from our laptops. And I can understand why SaaS is really held up in the internet sphere as sort of this end game of business models that really does provide an extraordinary amount of lifestyle flexibility and possibility. All right, so our first reflection is based around the differences between running a product business and a software business. The second is this idea of crossing the Rubicon. I wanted to talk about our team composition and the fact that especially, I think, in a SaaS business, that team composition is critically important because a lot of the intelligence in a business won't be immediately externalized into product. In other words, it's an ongoing product conversation and who's building that product is really critical. Yeah, for us, this has been surprisingly difficult, just like trying to figure out what we're all supposed to be doing. You know, we have conversations still. We had one this morning about like who's doing this, who's responsible for that. And, you know, as things move fast, you kind of have to be agile and, and adapt to that. But I'll say this. One of the things that I'm like most surprised about is like when we were just connecting candidates and jobs, like with the job board, we basically had a marketing company. And the end game was like to match somebody with a company. Okay. But it's like on the front end of that, you're like pretty far away from that actually happening. You have to go th like through a series of steps. And so we just like started to rewrite the sales page the other day, Dan. By the way, our sales page is like all over the place. We're still trying to figure it out. But <laughs> we try and sit down and write the sales page and we started to change our opt-ins now that we have this platform. And the first thing that we're doing was like trying to get people's email. And the conversation was like, well, wait a second. Like, why do we need people's email? We just want to put them directly in the product. Like, when they get in the product, we'll have their email. And it was like, oh, we're not a marketing company anymore. We're a product company. Yeah. It was like kind of this cool moment. And the reason that moment happened the Rubicon, so to speak. <laughs> yes, was because we brought on a CTO, Simon. And he's the one that kind of like, yeah, was able to help us cross that threshold into a product company, which I think has been pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, look, this thing doesn't happen without a technical person who is fully competent, fully engaged. And I think that that is fundamentally for a lot of listeners of this podcast, whether you're a technical person or a marketing person, is finding ways to get both done at the same time. We talk about software as a service right? The service part is a big part of it, which is, are you serving people? Are they paying? Do people know about it? That's a big, big challenge, as well as the technical elements, which are ongoing as well. So you really got to have both. And like you said, we didn't have a product. We didn't have a company that had any kind of potential like we have now until we secured a CTO. You asked me the other day, you said, do you think it'd be possible to like outsource the development of this product? I think that's a good question, especially for non-technical people like you and me to think like, hey, can I just go hire somebody to build this product? Or do I need to bring them in as a CTO and as somebody that's part of the core structure of the company? And 
I think that's a great question. It's still an open one for me. I can go both ways on that, but I'll, I'll bring it back to the physical product business. When you go to manufacture a physical product, you have a ton of options in terms of what factory you want to use, assuming this isn't some battery that only Elon Musk can develop. Most products are ubiquitous and you know the manufacturing process is fairly well known. So you kind of have your pick. But with software, it hasn't gotten to that point yet. And I kind of wonder if it like ever will. Like I wonder if there's going to be like these factories basically that you can just say like, hey, this is my vision. Like I want you to build this. And when you're wrong, a little bit wrong about your vision, it only takes a couple of days or a couple of hours to change that vision. It's certainly not there right now, but like with a physical product, it, it definitely is. Yeah. And I think that's, again, one of the biggest challenges that we're facing with SaaS and that anybody faces is getting a CTO is absolutely critical and essential to us doing this sort of work. In my view, uh, it couldn't be outsourced given the complexity of the problems we're trying to solve and their ever ongoing nature. The hard part is figuring out a way to pay for it. And that is why more people don't start SaaS companies. And that is why more people shouldn't start SaaS companies because you do need to be in a position to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars developing a product. Whereas with a physical goods product, your cost on that spend can be controlled. If what you do is you say, okay, I want to build a SaaS. I'm going to have like this team build a prototype. I'm going to go spend you know, $35,000 outsourcing it to a development agency. Well, what if it doesn't work? Are you ready to spend the next 35000 You know, I think that that's really the question you face in SaaS. And it's a weird thing because, well, it could never work. That's the other thing. And it often doesn't. Whereas with physical goods, it's pretty clear, like if you've demonstrated interest in your prototypes, your initial run, you know, you know the cost of that unit, you can go buy it and you can pump them out. That is the difference. And this is why investor money is so interested in this space, because you need tons of it to get started and the potential upside is tremendous. Yeah, 100%. One of the things we talked about with like the thousand day principle and getting to exit velocity with your business and stuff is like really trying to get a sense for like what things cost and then what your cost structure is going to be. So, you know, when we look back on like, well, how much did it really cost us to start our product company? Well, we needed 65 grand to get our first container, but we needed also you to work full time for four months before that. And then I worked full time and then I got a freelance salary. And it's like, you put it all together and it's like, well, maybe it cost us like 300 grand, but we figured out to like get around 200 of it. And when you're talking about getting a technical person to work for you for a year, you're not getting around a whole lot. Like they got to eat. So you see where I'm going with this is like, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars in startup costs here. And so I think there's a big barrier to entry as well. One of the things I want to add just for a little bit of context, Ian, I know this is a super insider, but I think it's worth mentioning that we really do have an amazing team around this product and they are very international. I think maybe some listeners think we're, we're sort of America centric. Me and you are very America right now. Can't leave. We have a team that's based in Thailand, in Colombia, in Europe, really all around the world. Hardly any of us share a nationality. And so I guess our company in some ways reflects the community in that way. We're a very, very global team. And I'm really proud of the team. We had a team call on Friday and I took a screenshot to send to my family. You know, it's like, it's just so cool to see so many smart people focused on this problem that we care a great deal about. You know, it feels really great. Okay, it's only 300 people, Ian, right now that we've hooked up with jobs, but they're all people. That's 300 people that have jobs and listeners' companies that they get to spend more time with their family. They get to travel more. I think that's really cool. That's happening on our team too. And so I think that that's a, a cool element that we are dog fooding our own product. We are the first people that would use it. Say so the other thing too that really makes a difference, Dan, especially in this stage that we're at, is like flexibility in your team. Have you hired the right people that can adapt to a new situation that can not get their ego so wrapped up in their daily workflow that they can't change directions almost in an instant? Because that's kind of the power of this platform too, is as soon as you like turn a switch, as soon as you like you see a new pathway, 
lot of times you got to start running for it. And that means like dropping what you're doing potentially in a small team with limited resources. I'm mostly proud of our team, not for their nationality, because that wasn't their choice, but for how adaptable they are. All right. Our third observation, the emotional complexity of running a SaaS business. You know, one of the things Rob Walling said on this podcast and someone we're really looking to for a lot of guidance on these issues is he talked about the anxiety of running a SaaS as you're kind of competing with everybody all the time. The extreme expense of it and the leap of faith that you have to take in order to make product market fit. And I'll say this, if if we sound a little bit garbled and confused in terms of what we're doing, the reality is, is we're not exactly sure. We know how to solve problems for remote companies. We do it. We make a little bit of money doing it. But the reality is, is we're kind of camped out with a really smart team in a big space. And this is the first time in our careers that we've decided to be little fish in a big pond. Yeah. We have over the years done and advocated the strategy of big fish, small pond. And we have to have this new sense of anxiety and faith that camping out in a big pond, which is hiring. This is a multi-billion dollar industry. It's one of the biggest industries on the planet that if we can find some set of problems to solve that ultimately we'll be able to you know, make more money for our clients than we're making for ourselves and, and be able to harvest a percentage of it in order to keep the company alive. And it remains to be seen whether we can do that. Here's another feeling and emotion, and I'll put this out there and you can respond to it and maybe put me in line. I feel like with this venture, like failure isn't an option, meaning there's going to be probably more failure than there are success, at least on a small scale. Like there's going to be many small failures that hopefully lead to a great success. But like ultimate failure doesn't feel like a, an option in this situation. I'll tell you why. Because I feel like we're failing in a way that we're learning intelligently and we're able to change our product quickly. So, It's not to say that this is going to be some huge company in terms of the financials, but I do feel like the worst case scenario is building a nice lifestyle business. So if that's failure to somebody, then yeah, we might fail. But to me, that seems like a pretty good outcome. Yeah. Well, you've changed, bro, as the meme goes, because I'll tell you what, you come into these team meetings with way too much optimism. Yeah. (laughs) we've changed roles and this is, we could do a partnership episode. My God, like people say, should you partner with someone with a particular skill set? And I say, no, you need to partner with somebody that you have a high degree of communication with, that you have emotional flexibility, that you can learn new skills as you go because you will change your roles in the company. I used to be the hype man. I used to be the guy who was optimistic about our outcomes. It's true. Now you've taken over my role. And I just, I'm scared to death. You know what's changed, right? No. Mortgage. <laughs> just one word, man. <laughs> we cannot afford to fail. Speaking of a grain of salt, Ian, our fourth point is just to talk about some of the struggles that we're having today. And these are, you know, some of the things that I bring to the calls when you're just this heap of uh, ridiculous optimism about what we're working on. I have to point out some pretty key problems. Uh, first and foremost is uh, we don't have product market fit. <laughs> what, what's that? What, what do we care about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Th- so anybody that's like listening to this podcast and certainly anybody that's like talked to us in person, they're like, man, you guys are doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. And uh, that's not good. No. You should really be focused. We don't have focus. But we do have glimpses of things. For example, now that we have a thousand candidates that are, a lot of them are amazing. They're in our database. When people see the candidates, it's like, well, I'd love to get in contact with them. It's like, okay, well, there's, a, there's something there. You know, how does that contact happen? What does it cost? What are the guidelines? How do you make it productive for everybody? We understand from having done these services and having made all these placements that there is value here. We're just not exactly sure how to participate in it and how to grow it. And that's what we're working on on a day-to-day basis. Another challenge is uh, the division of duties and roles on the team. 
that's been a big theme of the past few weeks. You know, wake up in the morning, I think maybe this person should, you know, move their area of responsibility over here and that could have a different impact. And that's been a big discussion in the company as well. One of their challenges and, you know, I've been the big uh, anti-plumbing guy on the team because I have extreme anxiety about product market fit. I walk around with a t-shirt with an enormous monkey wrench on it with a big Ghostbusters X through it, man. Like we are not doing plumbing around here. I'm curious if you can describe what we mean by that, Ian. I don't know if this is this a real thing or did you make this up? Because it it makes sense once you (laughs) explained it. I'll explain it basically, which is like, we don't want to put plumbing in the building because we don't know where all the rooms are going to end up. And so let's just put in some composting toilets. Let's go down to Home Depot. They're 150 bucks a pop. You know, put six yep. of those puppies in the office. <laughs> if tomorrow we decide that this is not an office, this is a bedroom, then there doesn't need to be a toilet in it anymore. You know, on the development side of things, I think this is true with our CTO and with a lot of developers, which is they, they like to make things neat and tidy. They like to create systems that save time. So when they go back, you know, they don't have to kind of reinvent the wheel. And so, you know, marketing and sales is kind of always fighting against that, especially pre-product market fit, because you're not sure what's going to stick. You're not sure where the bathroom or the room is going to end up. So yeah, you walk around all day with this like no plumbing sign on your shirt. And I think it's a pretty good idea. Now, I know that development is doing plumbing behind your back because <laughs> they know that a bathroom is going to end up there, but nobody's super confident about it yet. Yeah. And this is just a classic idea of premature optimization and also the classic dialogue between the sales function of a company and the operations. The reality is, is that our account managers benefit from and need plumbing every day. They build plumbing every day. They need to serve clients. They need to get things done on the website they need to serve the hundreds of jobs that go up on our website every week and the people that email them about that. Like there's real stuff happening here and you need tools to get it done. And the sort of no plumbing thing is like, let's be very deliberate and careful about the optimizations that we make in terms of our infrastructure. Because like you said, things are evolving fast and we don't want to spend two weeks optimizing something that might not ultimately be of value to our customers. So that is, you know, sort of my final point, which is being extremely deliberate about the problems you're trying to solve in these software businesses. Because like I said, one sentence, one idea, oh, what about if you do this integration? You could be doing that integration for two weeks. And that's perhaps an integration that then you can't turn around and create revenue out of. So at least for the time being, one of the big thrusts in the business is ensuring that the sales team, the marketing team has a strong voice in the company and that we're building things that we can sell to our customers. Yeah, you keep bringing up this uh, like one sentence idea, but a lot of our meetings are based around prioritization, like what we're going to do first. And I think that that's important. And maybe even more important is like, what can we sell first? we're starting to kind of come to that realization too. Because if just for an example, last week we had like kind of our product roadmap for the next like four or five weeks laid out. And it turned out like the thing at the end of the product roadmap was a thing that we can sell like tomorrow. So it's like, well, let's reshuffle that. Because, you know, in these young companies, a lot of times you don't have a bunch of... And to be clear, let's just be clear that that thing was access to the database. Yes. And so essentially, like if you're listening to this right now and you're saying, what is he talking about? He's talking about... By the time this gets up, we'll probably have a couple thousand candidates that you know, focus on different technologies. They focus on different marketing tools and stuff. It's like, well, how can you see them? Well, right now you got to email us to see them. So that was what was prioritized now. Well, you can have access to them for 99 bucks a month, provided you play by the rules. That is something that got reprioritized based on how amazing these candidates were looking and things are changing fast. So we just moved that up the roadmap a little bit. Yeah. And the reason that this prioritization has to happen in these small companies is because you just don't have the resources. Trying to be deliberate about the problems you're solving, then also prioritizing how they're going to get solved and when you're going to get paid for what. Because, you know, if we had a team of five or six developers, like, no problem, we'll do everything at the same time. But we don't. Part of me wanted to say, oh, man, we're so different in our 30s than we were in our 20s. But the reality is, is when we started our podcast, we did have product market fit. And Right now, we don't. 
We know how to sell services in this space, but we're really aiming to do a lot more for a lot more people and a lot better. And so it remains to be seen. You could retitle this episode, you know, four red flags that Dan and Ian are perpetrating in their new software business. And hopefully by sharing honestly that, hey, look, like we are just entrepreneurs. We're just business people. We're not exactly right about all this stuff all the time. And opening up and sharing some of these challenges with you will hopefully do a couple things. I hope that inspires you to take on challenges, to continue on, and that a lot of it is is like I keep coming back to when I was making a big effort to improve at golf, Ian. It's like I got so much worse, and I was so frustrated when I started getting lessons because I was worse, and I didn't know when I was going to get better. And every day I would go to the range, and it like wasn't the day that I was better. And then one day, like three months later, it was the day, you know. And that's how business works too. Sometimes, like it is uncertain, and but you just got to keep coming back every day. One of these days, you figure something out, and that's kind of the idea about the thousand day principle. Is like if you think it's going to just be right there in front of you right away. That's not how it works in our careers. That's not how it works in the careers that we see. And so part of us laying out this process here on the pod is to get your feedback. You know, number one, hopefully, you know, you'll buy our product. Number two, of course. And then number three, hopefully you'll feel a sense of solidarity that I think building a business is about taking on challenges, whether it's a product business and information business, there's going to be, like you said, you're in the woodshed with some blinders. You cannot always have constant confirmation that what you're doing is going to be the right thing. At a certain point, you got to go to that woodshed and build things of value. It takes some time. I'm scared. Is that okay? Yeah, I think that's right. totally okay. That's it, boss man. Thanks for joining me on the pod. You got questions about this product? Uh, obviously, we're engaged on a day to day basis. Our emails are our names, Ian and Dan, at this extension at tropicalmba.com. That's it for this week. We'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. See ya. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.